You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning and hello, friends. We're grateful for you joining with us today. If you're a guest with us, we are so glad that you're here. And of course, for our Cross Church family, our North Richland Hills Baptist family, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for taking time to worship with us. Many of you are joining with us on Facebook Live, and I want you to be aware that throughout this time, you'll have a pastor available to you during the chat, both at Facebook Live as well as in our live stream. Pastors are available if you'd like to call, and you'll see the numbers appear on the screen. These numbers, you'll reach one of our pastors. We'd love to visit with you and pray with you throughout today's service. We're grateful again that you're here, isolated by the coronavirus. We're meeting for worship again online. Maybe you feel like the individual who texted me this week and asked for prayer. He said, we're 15 days into self-isolation. And it's really upsetting for me to see my wife at the living room window, gazing aimlessly into space with tears running down her cheeks. It breaks my heart, he continued, to see her like this. And he said, I've thought very hard about how I could cheer her up, and I've even considered letting her in back inside the house. But rules are rules, he continued. Well, I don't know if that's you. Uh, I may need to pray for your marriage more than pray for your safety and isolation away from the coronavirus. Of course, there is no, no substitute for getting together. And online is a great place for us to gather today, but we look forward to the day when we can shake hands, hug one another, and gather together in person again. A virus may keep us out of our building, but it cannot. A virus cannot prevent us from being the church. If you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, fourth book inside your New Testament. And don't hesitate to find the page number if necessary through the table of contents. As you're turning to John chapter 12, today I want to speak to you about this subject. What does Jesus say about death? What does Jesus say about death? Today is a religious day that we observe entitled Palm Sunday. It is a marker that Jesus moves into the final week of his life prior to the crucifixion. It is a day when he arrives into Jerusalem, the ancient city outside by the Mount of Olives. The people greeted him with hosannas and palm branches. In fact, you can read about Palm Sunday's incident there in John chapter 12, verse 12. We'll be in verse 20 in a moment. And I want to invite you today as we look together at the events of Jesus' life, not so much on Palm Sunday, but what would have happened what Jesus likely, what he likely did the day after on that Monday. Beginning in verse 20 of John chapter 12, you'll see that the Bible refers to a feast. This is likely Passover, and Passover is still celebrated by our Jewish friends. They'll be doing so this Wednesday, the 8th of April. Begin reading with me in verse 20, if you will, of John chapter 12. Now, among those who went, went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. 
And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus said these words about four days prior to his crucifixion. And it's really fascinating to hear Jesus talk about hating one's life. We are in a pandemic around the world. More than 1.1 million people have been impacted by the coronavirus. And everything we're doing in this day and time is to save lives. When we think about all that goes on with saving lives, not just in this pandemic, but over the last several decades, we have devices to save lives, life preservers, life boats, lifelines, lifeguards, and even life insurance. And many of you work in the medical field where you dedicate your life to saving others' lives. So in a time when so many people are doing everything possible to save lives, Sounds weird to hear Jesus talk about hating one's life. Today I want you to look with me, and we're going to keep our focus on verses 20 through 26 and what Jesus has to say. First, he's going to teach us a truth about him, and then he's going to turn that truth and make it a truth about us. First, look with me about this, the truth about the death of Jesus, Jesus' death. The truth about the death of Jesus or that Jesus' death. Notice our story begins with these unnamed Greeks that show up out of nowhere. And they want to see Jesus. They want to interact with him. And so they come to one of Jesus' disciples. They come to Philip. And Philip, for some reason, goes to Andrew. And as quickly as they emerge in our story, they disappear. In fact, we would expect Jesus to say, when asked, there's some people here, some Greek people who want to see you, Jesus. We would expect Jesus to say, wonderful, let's have them, let's talk to them. But Jesus does none of this. As if he turns to his left wrist and sees only a wristwatch that he can see, he announces that the hour has now come, an hour that will glorify himself. Acting on a timetable that nobody else is aware of, somehow these Greek people trigger something in the mind of Jesus. And we see the pace pick up. We see the story, the plot begins to thicken. And all of a sudden, a momentous week happens. Only Jesus is aware of this. And all of a sudden, in our story, only Jesus is speaking. In fact, as if a stage is black and there's only one spotlight on him. In verse 23, he speaks about an hour. An hour has come. Now, how he knew that a decisive hour had appeared, we really have no idea. But the hour was happening. It was a momentous occasion. And again, the pace quickens. As if he's standing at a threshold of a door that he knows that the coming events are momentous. 
Notice what he says in verse 24. He says these words, amen. In fact, he gives the double amen. We've been looking at these statements in the weeks to come. Amen, amen. And every time Jesus says one of these statements, he intends for us to pause, to drink in the words, to digest everything that he's saying. While he'll say many things, these are words to live by. These are words that every head should turn and everyone becomes silent. In fact, he says these words, as you'll see hopefully on your screen, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is speaking about himself here. Jesus' oncoming death is the grain of wheat that is buried in the ground. Jesus is that grain, that kernel of wheat that has to be multiplied. His death generates great production, great success. In fact, if you circle back to verse 23, his path, his path, his narrow path is a path that he speaks of, of glory. And to be sure, the roadway, the roadway to this path of glory is his own death. Jesus is teaching us that he had to die to produce a great deal of fruit, to produce a great deal of success. Now today, it may be unusual for Jesus to use a farming analogy, but remember, everyone in his day and time would have had at least a garden by our standards. The farming analogy would have been widely understood of his day. And so when he calls everyone's attention to this kernel, this grain of wheat, we know today that almost 2,000 years later, a kernel of wheat is still important for bread, for cereal, for bagels, for pasta, for almost everything that we eat in one form or another. This kernel of wheat, he says, is vitally important. So we still turn to this 2,000 years later, and Jesus is comparing himself and what's happening some four days after he speaks these words and he says, my week, my day is coming, and it will be a day of tremendous glory. And Jesus says, as the Son of God, with all the sovereign authority and all the majesty that attends his words, he says, I am that grain of wheat, and when I die, and when I'm buried, I will come back and I will burst forth, and I will have millions of followers. See, Jesus is telling us he's got a moment of glory, verse 24 again, he is that grain of wheat, and it's necessary for you to have life that he dies. Is the death of Jesus in vain? Is he one more martyr, one more prophet that just comes and goes by a thousand times? No. He is again this grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. He is buried, and he is raised for three days later for a beautiful worldwide harvest. Today, almost all peoples around the globe at least some of them are called Christ followers because of this very death. Jesus says, this kernel is me, and if I had not died, I would have remained alone. I'd be the only child of God in the world. I'd be the only one who knew the Father intimately. I'd be the only one who had the opportunity to bask in his glory. But I, because I died, there are multitudes who can know him and do know him. It's Monday when Jesus says this. On Thursday, he will enter into Gethsemane. 
there at Gethsemane, he will experience the preview of the wrath of God to come. There at Calvary, he would experience a crown of thorns that would be upon his scalp, and he would experience a spear in his side, verifying his death. There at Calvary, he would experience the slow death of suffocation, six hours on a Friday. And there at Gethsemane, he would experience a mosquito bite, a preview of the upcoming wrath of God that he would experience for your sins and my sins. This is no hour of Jesus' defeat. This is his moment of glory. Jesus is teaching us about his own death, a death that is vital for everyone to know something about. Because on that Friday, his body descended into the ground, but on Sunday, his body came back out of that ground and emerged for a beautiful worldwide harvest. Jesus says, first, you need to know the truth about my death, but secondly, you need to know the truth about your death, the truth about your death. Again, Jesus teaches us the truth about himself, and then he turns it to teach us a truth about us. And beginning in verse 25, he says, whoever loves, look at this, whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life will keep it for eternal life. You see, if you want to experience eternal life, you've got to experience a death before your physical death. If you want to experience the second life, a second life where you bask in the presence of Jesus Christ, then in this life you have to experience a death before you die. Jesus says, in effect, if you want to see me, be prepared to be like me. Prepare to follow me on the road where I'm going. In fact, one of the men who would hear this on this Monday of the death of Jesus would be a man named Peter. Years later, Peter would write these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, for through this you've been called Christ's followers because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. So where is Jesus going on his road? Jesus is going to Gethsemane where he's experiencing the wrath of God for your sins. And where is Jesus going? He's going to Calvary, where he will die on behalf of your sins. And where is Jesus going? He's going to the grave, where he will produce millions of Christians. So today, if you really want to benefit, if you really want to benefit from the death of Jesus, you've got to experience spiritual death, a death before any physical death. In fact, he would say it this way, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life gains it. And if you want to serve me, you must follow me, and where I am, you must be also my follower. If you love this life, you will miss eternal life. But if you want to enjoy the next life, then you have to hate your life. Do you remember when Jesus told, well, it may be a familiar story for many of you, he talked about two men Two men who came into the house of worship, into the temple together. The first man came in and looked around, and he said to God, I'm better than everyone here. I'm better than everyone here, and you know how good I am. And then the man began to give God his resume, how great he was. Then Jesus said there was a second man there who all he did was just beat his breast, and he said these words, God, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. 
Friend, if you want to experience the second life, then you've got to be broken in this life. You've got to experience the death of your pride. You've got to experience a death before you will die because your pride must be broken. See, most of us would say this to God, you owe me everything. Instead, what you need to say to God is you owe me nothing, but I owe you everything. You've got to admit to being the real you, the sinful you, and you must trust Christ to save your life. Here in the middle of this message, I want us to take a moment and I want us to pray together. So I'm going to ask you in your kitchen, in your living room, in your bedroom, you may be back and forth in your car on your way to work. Would you just quietly, all of us, bow our heads for just a moment? In a moment, I'm going to continue, but I want to invite you to pray with me. And some of you today, you want to trust Christ. You want to admit your life is broken today. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I want you to pray something like this. Father, my life is broken. And today you've broken my pride. And that's a good thing. And I come to trust your son, Jesus, who died in my place. And today I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I am broken. Come and heal me by only your grace and your mercy and be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ and you're watching us on live stream or Facebook Live, I want you to type these words, I trust Christ. I trust Christ. If this is today, a day when you're embracing the Lord Jesus Christ, today you're turning from your sins and you're embracing the Lord, I want to invite you to be broken and to experience healing. And just type those words. One of our pastors will be in touch with you. These three words, I trust Christ. Now when you do that, and again, I just invite you to do that right now in the middle of this message. Just type it into the chat, both live stream, Facebook Live, Cross Church, North Richard Hills. Even if you're watching this in archives in the days to come later, I invite you to put those words in there, I trust Christ. What difference does that make? What difference does it make? Well, did you know that this is not the world's first epidemic? In fact, there were two epidemics in the Roman Empire that the early Christians experienced. In 165 and then again in 251. Historians likely think the first epidemic in the middle 100s was smallpox, while the second it speculated is measles. In both these epidemics, there was widespread death. Watch carefully. During a 15-year duration around 165, it is estimated that between a fourth and a third of all the citizens of the Roman Empire died. Between one-fourth and one-third of all the citizens of the Roman Empire died during that epidemic. Even the emperor at the time, Marcus Aurelius, would eventually die from the disease. He would write, there were carts, there were caravans of carts taking off the dead during that time. In fact, it's estimated that some 5,000 would die daily in the city of Rome. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But what's interesting is to watch those who hated their life and those who loved their life those who were Christ followers and then the rest of everyone else, to watch how those two types of people reacted to the epidemic. And what happened is those who loved their life 
they would take their loved ones who were dying before they died and because they were potentially contagious they would let them die outside the home they would take their body and push it outside no one really knew how to treat the sick no one knew how about germs and so they would take their own family members who were sick and out of fear of contamination they would lay them in the street to die those were the people who loved their life and prior to anyone knowing anything about germs they were afraid to visit one another and if you had the means historians tell us that the wealthy deserted the cities and got out in the remote countryside for a better chance at living but those who hated their life those who embraced the Lord Jesus Christ here's what happened the Christians had a better ability to cope and because of their unique impact of Christian mercy they had higher rates of survival you see the Christians picked up the dying not only of their own family but from others the Christians went about picking up those who were deserted outside their homes not just from their own biological families but from others and they would lift them up and they would touch them and they would take their oozing sores in their own hands knowing that they might die but they stayed in the cities they stayed and they weren't afraid they cared for the sick and for the dying not just of their own but for the people who were outside of their own family now here's a critical question and I want you to lean in I want you to pay attention why did they do that why would those who hate their life take on the responsibility of caring for others and here's why they believed that the kernel of wheat died and rose again they believed in their own eventual resurrection you see if you believe in a second life you'll realize that this life is not all that there is Christians did something powerful our early ancestors because they believed that death wasn't the end of this life and that this life was nothing more than a time of testing I want to close with these words the Bible does not compare your life to a leaf instead it compares it to a seed picking up on Jesus's teaching here this amen statement the Apostle Paul would later write in the words of 1st Corinthians 15 so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable you see friend if your life was like a leaf then this is the best it's going to get perhaps it might say that in that your death that your life would transform into beautiful colors as it decays but the best part of your life is not now the best part of your life is not now the best part of your life when you hate your life is the next life because in your next life you won't rot away like a leaf instead your life is like a seed that will flourish Jesus said this happens because his life is buried and his rose again don't you want to be transformed into beautiful into green beauty in the next life to come then today I want to invite you to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ again I'm going to pray for us in a moment we're going to take the Lord's Supper together those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ let's take a page out of the lessons from our ancestors and let's serve others let's run to the front lines knowing that this life is not all there is but there's a next life where we embrace the Lord and we'll experience the fresh green beauty of the transformation of the resurrection let's pray father your son said upon 
that Friday that we'll celebrate just this Friday, the 10th of April, as he hung upon the cross, among his last words, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. And today, we commit our lives to you, Father. We pray today that many would embrace you. We pray for those who a moment ago trusted in you and perhaps some still are trusting in you, Father, and we rejoice in that. But we pray, as with others, for the joy and the privilege of having the privilege of serving you. So give a fresh infusion to your grace to all of us today. In the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Today, as a church family on Palm Sunday, the week when Jesus Christ is crucified, the day in which he walks into Jerusalem, we want to gather together to take the bread and the juice of the Lord's Supper. As we do so today, this is a meal of memory, 1 Corinthians says. It's a meal of memory for what Jesus Christ did on behalf for us. This is for believers. This is for believers. So today, if you're not a believer, on basis of the Bible, I want to invite you to just watch as I take it. In homes and workplaces and in cars gathered all over, we're gathering together to take this. It's a testimony of the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said on that evening prior to his crucifixion, which would be this upcoming Thursday, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus said, this is my body. Take this and eat. Today, as we continue to take the Lord's Supper, I hold in my hand a small vial of juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, you talk about things being contagious, being viral. From the moment that he took this meal with his disciples, they were celebrating the Passover. No more than around 10 or more took it that evening. But today, all over the globe, believers where there is no freedom, are taking and participating in what you and I are doing. Today, we celebrate with Iraqi Christians, Saudi Arabia Christians, South American Christians, black, white, and every color in between, men and women behind prison bars, all of us celebrating the only liquid on earth that saves the only liquid on earth that forgives sins is the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your great blood, your son's blood on our behalf. And we praise you for all that you are. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.